We're in John again today, John chapter 8, if you'd like to go there, but um, I'm ready for 2020 to be done. My, uh, I heard many stories of loss over the last little bit, but my dad died on Tuesday, and uh, I, know, I know we have other people who had family members that died recently, and just such a feeling of sadness, but also relief that he gets to be with Jesus. I'm really thankful. But I also am like this crazy, crazy world we're in. The thing I know that's amazing to me is that death will not separate me from my dad. And that's because of what Jesus has done. He's going to be in heaven forever. I think of other things that we have allowed in 2020 to try and start separating us. And how we really, as the church, as Christians, shouldn't be separated. Like, we have this amazing centrality, and I'd call it the gospel, the message of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the cross. But these, all these other things come in, and not just death, but all these other divisiveness, how you should act, what you should do, all, I just, it's out there in the water right now. And so what I normally do is to take these couple weeks of the first of the year and do a topical on what makes our church our church, why we're distinctive. And I'm doing that today, but it's right in our text that's for today, which is John chapter 8. It's an amazing, amazing story. And it's about, it's a true story. It's about forgiveness. And it's about condemnation. And it's about the distinction between law and gospel. It's about what really is important and what makes you and I in this room different in our perspective on how to live life, our, our daily living, our actual practical shoe leather stuff. This message is so important for you. Not the one I give, but the message from the text about this amazing Savior and why it's the gospel how that impacts you. So I want you to see it today. I plead with you to see it. It's not a hard story. You probably even know it. It's the woman caught in adultery, which is an interesting, it's a fascinating text. You say, well, well, why is it fascinating? Well, here's the thing. For many of your Bibles, you'll see these brackets around it because it's not in the original text. So the earliest Greek manuscripts we have, the earliest ones, this particular little section of scripture either isn't here at all or is moved around. Sometimes it's at the beginning of John 7. A lot of times it's at the end of Luke 21 because the setting really is in Jesus' last week before he goes to the cross. <coughs> if you read commentators, and I've read a bunch, right? A lot of times what they do is they say things like, we're not sure this passage in the Bible, so we'll skip it. And they don't even tell you what they think it means. I think, and I think you should, take it very seriously. I think it's a real encounter that Jesus had. And whenever Jesus talks... I want to know. I want to see what he says. I want to take it in. I want the Holy Spirit to work on my heart. And so take this today. It's an amazing story. And it might not belong right here in John. So, so that's why we did last week. We kind of skipped this portion and we put the two together because John's message keeps going. But this discrete unit, this story, this true story of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and this woman captures the heart of what it means for you and I to live in 2021. It is about condemnation. Condemnation then and now. Because we condemn people all the time. Justly so, rightly so, because there's lots of sin all over. And then we look in the mirror. We should be condemning ourselves too. 
What does it mean? How does it look like? This is this message for our own hearts how to live in light of the gospel. So that's what we're going to do, this amazing account. We're going to start with a picture of God. I love this. This is this to me is just so incredible that you and I get to sit back and see, just for a moment, the wonder of our God. So we pick up in verse 53 of chapter 7, and, and it's this crazy little sentence that spans the chapter. So here it goes. Chapter 7, verse 30, 53. And there's little brackets. But it says this, it says, they went each to his own house. That's the whole verse. And then it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So our story starts today. The scene comes up. And really remember Jesus, he's been telling the people over and over. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. He's the light of life. That's just recently said. All these very foundational, essential things. And Jesus is it. He's so important. He's just everything. And so we're sitting there and he said, and then it says, now, okay, all the people did what? They went home. And then Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Here's my temptation. I know the Mount of Olives. Oh, Jesus went up to pray. And so Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives because that's where he would commune with the Father. And so here's those guys and they're not very holy and they go back home. But Jesus, he goes up to pray. And I start to think, I want to be like Jesus. I want to pray more. Let's go. And if you go that route, you'll miss this whole thing. That's not what they mean. You might as well say, hey, let's look at it a different way. All the other people went home. Why did they go home? They had one. They had a home. What did Jesus not have? A home. You say, okay, well, I want to be like Jesus. Okay, be like Jesus. Sell your house if you have one. Because that's being like Jesus. No, that's not the point. The point is you're trying to see the contrast between Jesus and you, between Jesus and them. We long for things. We have these desires. We want a home. We want a family. We want these things, and we long for them, and even God blesses us with them, whether he does or doesn't, whether you have a home or not. But then there's Jesus, and he came to earth and didn't have those things. In fact, I don't think he even wanted them. He was on a mission to save us. This is God come to earth and he came and here's us and we, we get caught up in, in houses and different things. But here's God and he's, he's up on the Mount of Olives and that's Jesus. He's absolutely incredible. By the way, Jesus who made the earth and gives every good thing had given them even those blessings of having a home. Okay, so be like Jesus. Well, if you have somewhere to call home, you really aren't, right? Thankfully, he's not, it's not about the, 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 the be like, it's about the contrast. He's our savior, unlike you and me. And as the savior, the God of the universe, the one who is, owns everything and is royalty beyond measure, then look what it says. Early in the morning, verse two, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. It was amazing. He didn't just go up and he's up there and he's with God and he's being heady and he's praying and he's doing, no, 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 wait. Then he came back. Why'd he come back? Well, he came back to sit down in the temple, that place where God is even worshiped and to teach people. It's just such an amazing thing of Jesus comes back to people who haven't really gotten it and they're, they're attacking him some and they don't really like him. But here he is again. Why? Because he loves them. This is the picture of God that I want you to see. Even it's just two simple verses, three simple verses, simple sentences. 
We all go to our places where we're not like God. And here's Jesus, amazing, perfect. And then he comes to us to teach, to love. This is our Savior. He's amazing. He came to earth, Jesus did, for us. He's, he's the God of the universe, the one who owns everything and his royalty. And, and then after an evening outside, early, he comes back from, from communing with his Father just because he loves people. People who have a home when he doesn't. People who are confused and against him and not thinking right. And he loves them. Beautiful picture. Yeah, this is truth for 2021. God to us, God for us. He loves us. The picture of God is right here and it's beautiful. He's sitting among people and teaching and he's for us and he doesn't leave us alone and he, he, he will and he does meet us and find us and save us and he's wonderful. I love it. We could end right there and just say, what a picture. Our God is so kind. But it wouldn't really help us live in a way that Here's the thing. Every so often I get to go into the high school, right? And I talk to other people, kids, about what Christianity is. And and they're not Christians necessarily. And over and over I get the same thing. They think Christianity is about moral living. They really do. I'm not talking about you that you think this way. I'm talking about people in the world as they're living right now, and you ask them what a Christian is, and think a Christian is someone who is anti-abortion. And a Christian is someone who is anti-homosexuality. And a Christian is something who's defined by all the good things that they're trying to do. And if you are a Christian, then by definition, you're trying to do good things. And that's their definition. It's called confusion. Total confusion of what the message actually is. We see the picture of God, and he loves us, and he comes for But if we just leave it there, and you don't actually get what the message is, you're, you're not going to actually understand and help and know what it is that you want to say to someone out there in this world that's so confused, even confused right now. Maybe even to yourself. Maybe you think, that, that's what a Christian is. I'm anti-able. Because there's true things. Those are things that I am. I am pro-life. But what does it mean to be a Christian? So come, come look. This what happens is we see this picture of God, but then really the presentation of a sinner. Here it is. So the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery. Here's the story. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? <laughs> this is fascinating. On a bunch of levels, right? The scribes are the lawyers of the day. that They've steeped in the legalities of the law. And many of them are Pharisees who are very intentional and religious about obedience to God. And this is how you live your life is that you have the moral issues and you, you keep them. And so they bring this woman before Jesus and she'd been caught in adultery and we're just told this is true it's not like well I wonder if she is really or not or I wonder if they no no no. we're told by the text by God as he writes this text as John puts it out she's caught in adultery it happened she she's guilty that's not the question 
The word for adultery there is not fornication. It's actual adultery, violating your, your marriage vows, right? You're with the wrong person and you vowed to be with somebody else. So they put her in front of all the people, in front of Jesus, and it's really interesting. Right away. I hope you have this thought. I think this story, you've probably heard this story before. Where's the guy? Like, come on, adultery isn't something you do alone. If there's a law, and there is a law, well, guess who gets to get stoned? Just the gal or the gal and the guy? Both of them. That's not fair. That's not fair. I, I think there's got to be something there that I don't, I don't, I don't like that. They're, they're, they, they need to, if they're going to apply the law, apply it rightly amongst everybody. So we need to go get the guy too, because he deserves to be stoned. I hope you feel that way. If, if you think that that's going on. Hold on to that. Because even if you say that, and I, and I do, there's still no question that this person has sinned in this particular way. It's a given. So is she guilty? Nod. Yeah, she's guilty. We're told she is, right, according to the law. And the law is kind of interesting. I mean, I won't go through it all with you because it, it takes away almost from the point. But the law is really interesting because you go back to Deuteronomy 22, and it's in the law of Moses, and it's there. It says it, that if you're betrothed as a virgin and you sleep with somebody else instead of your fiancé, yeah, you, you get stoned. Or Leviticus chapter uh, 10. It's actually Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 speaks of the same thing. And, and, and even in their own law code that they would be very familiar with, the, 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 the low law code, the Mishnah it was called, very clearly lays out in the Sanhedrin 7-4 about this very thing, about if you were, were unfaithful to your spouse, you got killed. There's a debate over whether you're strangled or stoned. I don't like that debate. Like either way, you're dead. But it's right there, right? It's not unclear. These are the law experts. They know this. Why are they doing this? Well, it, it says it right there, right? Verse 6. They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. Interesting. Now, it's not really a question of what the law says. But if Jesus upholds the law, that's the question. Right? They want a charge to bring against Jesus. And why, why, why would that be? Why would that be? He'll just say, yes, of course, keep the law, go do it. No, no, there's an issue here. Here's the issue, in case you don't understand. So here's the issue. So on the one hand, you've got the law, and if Jesus says, no, why would you stone someone? Have mercy. Then he's going against the law, and no prophet of God would ever go against the actual law of God. He's a fraud. Yeah, that would be one thing. The other piece over here, though, is if he says, uphold the law, stoner, then he's taking the control out of the hands of the Romans. Because the Romans were who were like ruling the area at the time, and they were the only ones that could promote capital offenses. He, Jesus wasn't allowed to. So if Jesus would say, stone her, then they could take a charge against Jesus to the Roman governor and say, hey, there are these guys, he's passing out capital offenses, put him in jail. Get rid of him. So, so it's balanced between those two things. That's what they're testing. They're testing, is Jesus going to really stand up and say, no, hey, the law is the law, or, or is he going to kind of wimp out on that in order to like stay right with the authorities over here? 
And either way, they've got him. What would you do, by the way? I know what I would do. I'm a good Christian. I'd uphold the law. Forget these civil authorities. Man, they have nothing to say. If the Bible actually says it, I'm going to do what the Bible says. I hope you're the same way. The Bible says it, do it. And if whatever the, the government says, if they're going against the Bible, then I'm going to say, no, can't go against the Bible. It's the word of God. So I expect my Savior's going to do that. He's going to say the law is the law. God, I mean, maybe he'll say that in a kind way or kinder than I just did. Maybe he'll be even kind of, I'm sorry we've got to do this, but that's the way it is. I don't know. I, and don't think this is not an issue today, right? I mean, a little bit. I think of even our society. Do we think that adultery is wrong? And how do we handle sin? So, so here it is. So, so let's see what Jesus does. So as they continue, well, verse six still, because it was part of that whole thing. Jesus bent down while they put this woman in the midst. So here, all these guys gather around watching. Here's Jesus and this gal in the midst, and she's an adulteress, and and, and here's Jesus and Jesus. It says, bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. That's kind of interesting. What is he writing? That's where my mind goes off. What is he writing, this cool story? And I, if you've probably heard this story tons, so you may hear different people with different ideas about what Jesus is writing. Some people think he's writing verses about not judging or verses about how everyone's sinning or something like that. Other people, the one I like, it's really fun. He thinks Jesus is looking at each person and writing down their individual sins of the people gathered around. That would be really interesting. He's writing down Dax, angry at his brother, murderer. George looks at pornography, adulterer. Sorry if you're George. I, I'm not. <laughs> but, but looking at you and looking at you and looking at you and knowing all the things you did wrong and he's writing that. Could it be? Sure, it could be. I don't know, but it doesn't matter because it doesn't tell us. What matters is what Jesus actually says. What does he say? Well, here's what he says. As they continued to ask him, they kept pressing him, right? Jesus, come on, you got to tell us. What is it? What is it? Should we keep the law or shouldn't we? Does the law say something? What is? What do you know, Jesus? He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Then it says, Once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. So he's writing, right? And they're pressing, and they're pressing. And he stood up and he says this statement. And it rings out. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone at her. And then he goes back to writing. And those words just hang in the air. Who is sin free? Who's worthy? Go ahead, pick up the stone. I mean, you too, right? Think about it. Would you? Think, uh, there's the homosexual. There, there, there's the person who's really sinned and you know they have and you know that they're a sinner. And, 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 and come on, pick it up. Clearly in the wrong, clearly here's the scripture, clearly here's the law, clearly aimed at them. And Jesus says, only if you have no sin. And it says when they heard it, verse 9, 
they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I love this. They all kind of slink away one by one or in little groups, and they're all gone. And, and I love that it starts with the oldest because <laughs> they've lived the longest, right? It always goes this way. You've lived the longest isn't like, oh, I've lived the longest, so now I know I sin the least. I've worked on my sin for so long that I have very little sin left. No, that's the young people always think they never sin. I remember once I had the seminary prof, you maybe heard this story from me before. His name was Alex Montoya. He's a neat guy. He, 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 he said, uh, he said, you know, one Sunday I came in and, 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 and I saw this couple and they were living in sin. And man, I was going to get them. I was going to push at them to be holy and better and they got to repent and so he started preaching at them and saying man anyone who sinned come forward you need to come forward and, and receive forgiveness and we'll pray for you and he's after him and hitting him and, and all of that and he's aimed at them and then when he calls people forward the three little 80 year old ladies at the back of the church come down crying and he's like stop i don't want you go back you're not sinning you're fine i want them because in his head he's thinking but but Really, they're, you know, they're wanting repentance for their bridge sins or something. I don't know. It's like, you're not really a sinner. No, no, it's them. As you get older, more tender towards the reality. And, and that's these words get at them that they are sinners. That's almost what growing is, is seeing your own heart more and more. It's not pretty. But here, you know, pretty soon, only Jesus is standing there with the woman. They aren't worthy to cast the stone. But you know what? I know somebody who is. He's standing there. Jesus is, right? Jesus is worthy. So so the question still remains, doesn't it? It's a clear sin. Adultery. There's clear law. Death. This is the law of Moses. This is the law of God. This is where we get the Ten Commandments. This is, this is it. There's a sinless judge standing in front of her. And now that the test is over, all these other guys aren't worthy. But I know the Lamb of God, who, who, he's worthy to, to open the scroll. He's worthy to judge. And, and he can do it, like I said, quietly, sympathetically, perhaps even apologetically. But he can do it. He says, Sam, we've got to uphold the law here. This is what it is. And, and, and so... I mean, be clear from the text, right? She hasn't repented. She's not like sitting there in tears going, I'm so sorry I did this. The text doesn't say anything like that. She's not promising she's going to turn over a new leaf. Like some, oh, because you're repentant and you're so... No, no, no. The only thing she has, she's standing before. She got brought to Jesus. And she's been caught in really bad sin. And it's really bad because the law says that if you die, if you do it, that's how I know it's really bad sin. So, so we really need to catch this because this is Jesus. L- listen to his proclamation. This is the proclamation of our Savior. So Jesus stood up again. And he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Okay, okay, realize as they're saying this, I just want to make sure you know, this is a respectful address. This isn't like, he's not saying, hey, babe, 
That woman there is a term of respect in the original language. It's, it's, it's a, it's, she's respecting her. And then her response back isn't like, oh, Savior, that's not that Lord. That Lord just is, is the word that's used for sir. It can be used for Savior, but it's often just used as a respectful form of address. So it's just being respectful. No, no one has condemned me. And so Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What a strange thing. I mean, it should shock us. It doesn't shock us because we've heard the story before. But it should shock us. The law is super clear. It's not a question of interpretation of the law. Like, like Jesus looks and he saw that she wasn't really guilty or she, she, she had extenuating circumstances. By the way, everybody has extenuating circumstances. You know, I sinned because my wife made me do it. That's my usual circumstance. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> or you're speeding. It's like, hey, officer, I had to get to the hospital. I had to visit my dying relative. Something. There's no, there's no discussion of circumstance or, 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 or what, why she did it. And, and, and really, I'm, the guy could be there too with her. I, everybody who sinned that way because Jesus is worthy so it's striking how respectfully he speaks. And, and then the one who could condemn, he actually looks at her and asks the question there that gets asked is, does anyone condemn you? And it's a word that means condemn, pass a death sentence, pass the sentence. Has anyone passed the sentence on you? And she says, no. And then Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. It's a different word. The word there is just judge. Neither do I judge you. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? The true sinner, not coming in abject brokenheartedness, no statement of sorrow, simply brought to Jesus. And then the one who decides, decided not to judge. He doesn't execute the law. The giver of the law forgives. That's amazing. No, 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 wait. You say, wait, whoa, 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 Dex, there's that piece at the end, right? Go, be free, right? Be free. But also this little piece, and sin no more. The actual words kind of from now on isn't really part of that. It, it's, it's put there to try and explain. But, but really, I, I think it's fair to just, he says, sin no more. What? Go and sin no more. What does it mean? That means that Jesus is saying, you're a sinner. Right? That's what he's saying. You have sinned. He's, he, Jesus isn't saying the law is wrong. Jesus isn't saying that, that the, he's taking the law away. He's not saying you're good and you're pure and, and you're true because your sins just don't matter. No, he's saying you're a sinner. Don't sin anymore. Sin is bad for you. And you know, that's really true. It's like nobody should sin ever. It's always bad for you. Sin is bad. It's not helpful to you. It's a bad thing to sin. And, and God doesn't say ever to anyone, oh, let's sin some more so that, I don't know, I can forgive you more or something. That'd be silly. Jesus doesn't say that. And he doesn't take away the law, does he? But the one who decides is Jesus. By the way, do you think that she'll be able to do that? Do you think Jesus expects her to? Do you think Jesus is going to tell her, go and sin no more, and now she won't sin anymore? 
because the instruction of God is enough to keep us from sin? You know that's not true, right? Do you know that the Bible says don't sin? Do you sin? Anybody that says no, they don't sin, I definitely want to talk to you after service. We need some counseling. We'll go deep count. No, because the Bible says if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. The Bible says everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. The Bible says that to people who are saved, you continue in the flesh to sin. We sin all the time. The instruction of God is not enough. The law, what it does, it highlights our sin. It, it says, whoa, 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 you're a sinner. And, and then you say, yes, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. That's the purpose of this law. And, and so who's the Savior? Standing right in front of her. So he comes and he says, go and sin no more. He's saying, hey, the law is right. You shouldn't sin. Sin is bad. But guess what Jesus is about to do, if I think this is where it is, which is the last week of Jesus' life. He's about to go to the cross for her. He's going to shed his blood for her. Because she can't not sin. She shouldn't. That's the law. But she will. This is the difference between the law and the gospel. This is the difference between the law that accuses rightly and it's high and it's good and it says you fell short, you fail. I condemn you in the flesh, always. And at that point, we get to say, wait a minute, I must have forgiveness. I need a savior. This is what I put this verse at the bottom of your outline today. It's on the back of your little bulletin sheet. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's not sinlessness because it goes on to say, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. That walking in the light is agreeing with God that you're a sinner and you need a savior. That's all it is. You're saying, I- I'm broken. I can't. I'm, and it says, if you walk in that light as Jesus is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Yeah, we're on the same boat. Sinners saved by grace. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's called forgiveness. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the law driving us to the gospel. The gospel is what we care about. The law condemns and Jesus affirms it. Sin is real. You sin. And what we need is forgiveness. And that's what Jesus brings. He loves us. Not by encouraging sin. Not by saying there isn't any, but, and certainly not by saying that people are fine and good and everything's rosy, but by personally forgiving the sinner. His choice. Go and sin no more, she can't, but Jesus will go to the cross. So, so, so here's the thing for you and me today. Because this is about condemnation. And how do you feel it? Do you do it to other people? How should we live in this gospel? Because the implications are tremendous. My my hope is not that Jesus is going to make me sinless in my flesh. My hope is that Jesus will forgive me and has at the cross. My understanding is You do get that, right? Your hope isn't that Jesus won't judge you and judge your sin. Your hope is that Jesus will forgive you. That, that, that's your hope. Your hope isn't that, that, that your sort of your understanding of what other people need is, is not law following. Like, oh, what you really need to do is you really keep the Ten Commandments well and you'll be fine. No, no, that, that's not what people need, right? They, they, nobody does it. They need forgiveness. 
specifically from Jesus. And so we're not talking about how society works at this non-Christian world that we all live in. We live in it every day. It runs by law. It's supposed to run by law. There's consequences to it. It has nothing to do with your Christianity. It's just about how life is going to get by out there. And it runs by law, rules. Some of them have religious overtones. Some of them don't. It doesn't matter. They're not Christian. It's about the red stoplight. If there's a red stoplight and you choose to go through it, what might happen? Well, there's another person with a green stoplight and they're not going to stop. And you're going to hit each other. And it's your fault. You didn't follow the rules. That's good that you follow the rules, right? But... You don't follow them well all the time. And when it comes to this room, when it comes to God, the main thing in your whole life is that you don't follow the rules. You're a sinner. Me too. I'm talking about the law. The law like the one that says, are you upstanding and right before God? That's what the question to Jesus was. This is the scripture. It says this is sin. What do you do about it? And Jesus nods and says, yeah, it's sin. Yeah, sin is bad and wrong. Don't do it. But the problem is you do. And Jesus' main response to that is that he forgives us. He says, I forgive you. I don't judge you. That's what people need to hear, right? Be, be good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. That law keepers don't go to heaven. Those who have been rescued from the law go to heaven. How do I get these things? Let me tell you about the good news. Let, let me get a little bit more practical before we close. I, we need to close. But this is, this is the message. This is what we need refreshing and this is what we need bombarded with every week. Because we live by the law. We hear about the law. We start to judge by the law which works great out there, it doesn't work in here. Even love becomes a law to this world that doesn't know Jesus. There's no forgiveness in it. Okay, so let me get specific. So in our culture right now today, someone cheats in their marriage. Is that okay? No, not okay, right? You wouldn't say, oh yeah, no, that's fine. Live and let live. You know, you say, that's sin. That's bad. No, that's horrible and wrong. Call it. It's sin. But you know what? What you do next is the critical thing. Because you could go, try, stop that. Try harder. And if you don't, I'll knock your legs out. I'll cut off your hand. That would be if you live in an Islamic country. Instead, the Christian says, What? Do you know that Jesus died for you? Do you know there's actual forgiveness for you? It's not about how well you, you don't do it anymore. It's about the blood of Jesus that actually has covered you. That absolution is actually available. Because, and the reason I can say that, the reason it means something to you or should mean something to you, is that you do the same thing. Do you realize you do the same thing? That when you say, oh, no, 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 bad sin, you horrible that you do sin, you're pointing, it's the four-finger thing, pointing back at you, right? If you happen to be married today, are all your thoughts pure? Do you tear down your spouse instead of building them up? Do Do you realize you don't lay down your life, husband, for your wife like Jesus did for the church? Because that's the call, and you don't do it. 
Do you realize perfect submission is what you're supposed to have to your husband and you don't do it? That's just in marriage. It's all over. Where do you go with this horrible and wrong and sin and we live in it and and we start to judge big ones and little ones and we start to say, okay, well, you're bad because it makes me feel better that I'm not so bad and we go down all these roads when the actual answer of the gospel is we're all in the same boat. We get what? Forgiveness. And if you can speak it, it's beautiful. And if you can't speak it, at least you can speak it for the Lord because he forgives. Say, I'm too hurt. I can't. You want to be real. I can't speak forgiveness to you because you've hurt me too bad. What you can say is, you know what? Jesus forgives you. I know he does. Because he died for you and shed his blood for you. This is the gospel. And we swim in a sea of forgiveness. And the forgiveness does not contradict the law. It just rescues you because Jesus is a rescuer, a savior, a redeemer. And by his stripes, you're healed. By his word, you're found righteous. So though this is the word I want to take to the world. This is what I hope these high schoolers I talk to understand. It's so different. A message of self-righteousness by uh, trying harder with a little help from, I don't know, I guess the Holy Spirit to make me a better person or the blood of a Savior who forgives me. And I think forgives us. And many people won't believe this. It sounds too easy. It seems light on sin, but it actually has a very high view of the law. Everybody's under it. Everybody's condemned. Each and every person is a sinner deserving of death. Both the ones who you see breaking the law and the ones who think they're condemning other people who are breaking the law. Everyone. Okay, we need to be done. I'll give you homework on this. Here's my homework. Take this idea of forgiveness and living in we're all sinners and apply it to masking. Go ahead. Have fun. How are you going to think about other people and yourself on the things that we think we need to do? Because that's where we're meeting the road, right? Are we people who are forgiving and gathering on the cross? Or are we people who are going to point fingers at the behaviors of everyone else? It's fascinating to see where you can go with the reality of forgiveness. Not Am I good enough to forgive? Because even Jesus forgives us for not forgiving. But that he forgives. And our only hope is in the blood of the cross. That's my word for this 2020-21 shift. We'll hit it on a positive note next week to talk about love. But man, would you get this amazing message. I want to end with this. In Isaiah... I think it's chapter 55, but it might be 59. I didn't write it down. It says, your sin has separated you from God. And that's the message of the Old Testament. Your sin has separated you from God. We know it viscerally that our evil, our wrong, and the wrong of other people is what separates us from God. And that was true then. And the answer that Jesus brings is never, oh, now I'm enabling you to be perfect on your own. It's always, that's why I came, to die on the cross for your sin. The sin that you have no longer separates you from God. That's the message of the New Testament. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ has covered all your sin. Walk in that for you and for other people. It's amazing. Let's pray.